by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. What I say, John chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus says, But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. How many of y'all glad that Jesus was here in the world? Now, we've been on this series called The Rescue. We're talking about God's rescue and evacuation plan for his people. We started before time began. <laughs> this, is, this has been a long series, but we're coming to the end, all right? I know it's been a long series, but we've gone through the whole Bible, you understand. In like 10, this is our 10th week, and we, we should be through by 12 for sure. But we're, we're taking a journey through the Bible. We, we see uh, how God created, why God created the earth. We see the fall of man, how we messed this thing up. And we've seen uh, repeatedly how we continue to mess this thing up. And last week, we talked about all the prophecies and everything in the Old Testament. It was Jesus. We don't see Jesus' name in the Old Testament, but it was all him in the Old Testament, too. Remember last week? Or no, it was the week before. Last week we had Nicholas's message. Great job. And thank you, Mary, for setting up all that stuff. And thank you, Josiah, for filming the, the stuff. All the work that went into that. I, I understand that was a lot on you guys. Thank you so much. It really blessed me and Angie. Um, but so we talked about that it's always been Jesus. Now, the Old Testament may be Jesus concealed, and the New Testament, Jesus revealed, but it's always Jesus. And it was Jesus, all the prophecies. And so we talked about Jesus in the Old Testament. Today's message is entitled, Jesus' 33. How many years did Jesus live on the earth? 33. So that's what it's talking about. We're going to talk about the impact that Jesus' life had on the earth. It was a very special time. You know, when I was in, I guess, seventh or eighth grade, I'm not sure, I made me a, my first guitar in woodshop in the junior high. And, uh, well, I just made the body, and I had some spare parts from another guitar. I bought a cheap guitar, and I put it on there, and I felt like I had made my first guitar. I started learning how to play. I was asking people how to play chords. Anybody that knew anything about guitar, I'd get them to show me a new chord, and I was learning to play Freebird and all that stuff, you know, back in the day. I'm dating myself. That was a while back. And so my, I had a really good friend at the time. His name was Hal. <laughs> what, some of y'all have heard of Hal? <laughs> well, anyway, Hal was my best friend, and he said, man, I'm going to get a bass, and we're going to start a band. So sure enough, that Christmas... His mama bought him this big old ugly hollow-bodied bass <laughs> that would feed back every time he tried to cut it up. But nevertheless, it was a bass, and she got him a big old amplifier at the pawn shop, and we began a band. And that was our first band. We, we added a uh, drummer and other guitar players, and we played different styles of music over the years. We played for many years together. Uh, but somewhere along the line, Hal had uh, 
these tendencies towards addictions. And uh, he, he drank too much, and then he started doing drugs too much. Now, I didn't do drugs. Thank goodness my mother convinced me to never try that. I never tried drugs, but I drank right along with Hal. <laughs> but I wish you would have said don't drink. <laughs> that would have been really good. But anyway, Hal started getting on these drugs, and I st- tried to work with him for years and years, and, and he just spiraling downhill with this addiction. And he even he got to where he couldn't he wouldn't toting his weight in the band so to speak anymore. He would be so messed up that he wouldn't play the right chords. We finally had to let him go, and uh, we replaced him with Tony. Where's Tony? He's outside. Okay, our our bass player. That that shows you how close you were to having Hal as your praise and worship basis. <laughs> And you still may one day, you know, there's a hope for the boy. But anyway, <laughs> we had to let him go, and he kind of got mad at me, and we parted ways. I was probably in my 30s right before I got saved. And then I got saved, and I started serving the Lord. He went his direction, and I went mine. And many years after I got saved, you know, we, we still talked once every couple of years on the phone, but we, we didn't hang out anymore. And Somewhere along the line, one day I was driving to my office in Memphis, and I, I was living in Olive Branch at the time, and I would pray all the way there. And uh, just God put it on my heart really strong to pray for Hal. And I said, okay. So I began to pray for Hal, you know. Bless Hal, be good to Hal, take care of Hal, you know, standard prayer. But the unction came upon me, you know. And, I, and the Holy Spirit began to, I started praying in, you know, my spirit language. I started praying in, in the spirit. And then I, then I started uh, basically prophesying. And I began to cast the devil out of Hal. Now, I didn't know if Hal had a devil, but I began to cast demons out. You come out of him, you foul thing. I cast you into dry and weary places where you'll find no rest. And don't you try to come back. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill Hal right now. Fill those places that the demons had once possessed. Help Hal. Break those chains. And I prayed with much fervency. You know, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, I went on to work and didn't think anything about it. And the next day, guess who called me? How? You know what he said? I will tell you later. I'm saving it for the end. But, you know, God has perfect timing. I got saved when I did, and you got saved when you did. And God has timing for all of us about things. And in all of life, God has a time. There's a time and a season, Ecclesiastes says. You know, in the first book of the New Testament, the New Testament is, starts where Jesus came, when the 33 began, you understand. And the first book... In the New Testament is Matthew, and the first 16 verses of Matthew are a genealogy of Jesus. And then in verse 17, it says, All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David. So it started with Abraham. And then it says, From David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile. And then 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Does it seem like Jesus was just born haphazardly, just 
when God got around to it, or does it seem like it was planned from long ago? And the funny thing is, is if you read that genealogy, even if you don't read the Bible a whole lot, if you just read enough, you'll recognize most of those names. Why is that, you suppose? Because they're who we've been reading about through the whole Old Testament. You didn't realize it. You were reading the Old Testament. You thought it was random people, random stories, but you were reading about the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam and the people that were his great-great-great-great-grandparents. And it's amazing to me that the, the Jewish people can't see that, that their very scriptures that they confess to believe are painting the picture and the genealogy of the Messiah that they refuse to, to accept. But it is. So God came just the right time, and we're going to talk about what we can learn from the few little years that he lived, 33 years here on the earth. I just wrote down some of them. You know, I can't get to all of them. There's so many things. His life should be an example to us in everything. We should look to Jesus and how to, to build our lives. But the, one of the most important things to me is found in John 14, 9. And it says, and it's Jesus talking. He says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Who's he talking about? Father God. Now, that's a bold statement. Is he saying he just kind of looks like him? Because it says in Colossians 1.15 that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You know, there's a scripture that says no man has seen God at any time. Well, that means in the sense that God is a spirit. God in his fullness, in his essence, nobody has seen the Father, the Spirit. But we've certainly seen God the Son. We talked about last week how we saw him through the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord in many places. So Jesus came to let us see what God is like. To reveal the truth about God. And, and why could he do this? Because he is God. He is God the Son. And God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one. I don't understand it. We can, don't get me to try to explain it. Because even if I did, you wouldn't understand it. But when you see Jesus, you see the Father. You want to know how God is? You want to know about his personality? You want to know what he would do if he was on the earth? You see it clearly. In the first four books of the gospel of the New Testament, And knowing that Jesus is God, how did he act? What is extremely striking to me is the one who created it all, who owns it all, who flung the stars into existence, had such striking humility. I mean, he came to the earth he created, and we couldn't find room for him at the hotel. We put him in a, in a trough, a feeding trough, to be born. He's okay with that. 
He grows up as a, a lowly carpenter's son in a little old town called Nazareth. People talk bad about Nazareth, just like, like they say about Horn Lake or something. You say, well, I'll never do nothing in my life. I just come from little old Horn Lake, you know. Well, Jesus came from little old Nazareth, and he turned the world upside down. I think he did those kind of things to show us that the works that I do shall you do also. Well, anyway, what humility for God himself to come down from heaven. That's awesome. Philippians 2, 7 says, but he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. We just read over that like it, you know, get to the next verse. Do you realize that Jesus didn't have a physical body before he came to the earth to be born as one of us? He was omnipresent, could be everywhere all at once. He limited himself on the earth. He became one of his creations. He humbled himself to become one of us, and he still has a body. You can still see the scars in his hands and his feet and the, and the stab mark in his side today. When you see him, he became one of us. Why? Why would he become one of us? He had so much more. Because he wanted to feel your pain. He wanted to know what you're suffering. He wanted to identify with you. And it was only in a human body could he suffer the penalty for human sin. And he came to take away your sin. We just read over that like it wasn't no big thing. That was huge. God became one of us. <laughs> that, that almost blows my mind. And it says he became a bondservant. I didn't know what a bondservant was, but I read it. It says a person bound in service without wages. In other words, somebody who does all the work but gets none of the pay. He didn't get anything from this. I like to tell the guys down at the jail, I say, you know, we've been coming down here for 15, 20 years. And I never got paid for, we don't get paid for coming down here. We do it because we loved you. I mean, what greater testimony that he loves us, that he came down here as a bondservant. He's not getting anything out of this other than your love is what he wants out of it, the deal. He wants you to be free. Jesus is good. Say Jesus is good. And it says being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself, you think, and became obedient to the point of death. I mean, he was in all points tempted as we are. He could have sinned anywhere along the way. And he humbled himself all the way to death. He even experienced the death that we have to die. And he made a way that we don't have to die. Really. Even the death of the cross, which was our cross. Therefore, since he did all this, isn't that what the word therefore means? What's that therefore? <laughs> therefore, God also highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every other name. That's how, why Jesus sits at the right hand of God. 
And it made me think, maybe, maybe humility ought to play a greater role in our lives. If we're supposed to be like Jesus, and we see the most striking thing about our Lord and Savior, he's God on the earth, fully God, fully man. And he humbled himself. And therefore, God highly exalted him. Maybe we're taking the wrong path to greatness. Maybe we're trying to exalt ourselves. Maybe we're climbing over the people at our job trying to get that raise, that promotion. Maybe we're taking the wrong path. Maybe God exalts the humble. Just a thought. I think it says that in the Bible somewhere. A guy named Lyle C. Rollins III. And with a name like that, this must be important. I think they called him Rollo on Sanford and Son, but I'm not sure. No, <laughs> strike that from the record. Okay, I'm just amusing myself. <laughs> Come on, lighten up. We're the warm, fun-loving family, right? <laughs> I mean, this is a deep teaching. I understand. I'm trying to throw a little laughter in there. Okay. He said Jesus had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet the kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. <laughs> he didn't live in a castle, yet they called him lord. He ruled no nations, yet they called him king. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, but yet he lives today. <laughs> Our Lord is risen. Hallelujah. Yeah. Woo. Many of us, we're like, that's not the path I would have taken. <laughs> but, you know, it works. Think about it for your life. Humility. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Think about that. He washed his disciples' feet. Smelly old stinky feet. God washed smelly old stinky human feet. Bungee, bunk, what do you call them? Bunion toed. Fungus among us. Thinky. Well, don't be laughing too hard. He said, go and do likewise. <laughs> Who goes first? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nicholas had a foot washing service at one of his life groups recently. It was awesome. Anyway, so where did Jesus get the power to do all the miracles, you suppose? Some of us think, well, it ain't fair. You know, he was God. He, he could do miracles. He could raise the dead. He could feed 5,000 with a couple of loaves and some fish, you know. Well, where did he get the, this power? Wasn't it the Holy Spirit? And didn't it say that you can have the Holy Spirit? That you can be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire? Wasn't it because he had faith in the Father? He 
He had great faith to believe that what he said would come to pass because it was according to the Father's will. And then that how the miracles happened? Didn't he have hope? Didn't he have the greatest of these, love? Isn't love the most powerful force on the earth? You can change everything by having the power of love in your life. That changes more people than miracles and signs. It's what changed your heart. It's the love of God that called you to repentance. You saw the love of God hanging on your cross. And these are the things that he came to give us. These are the things that he offers and encourages us to have. He says, have faith, have hope, have love, and be filled with the Holy Ghost and power. I wrote down some other things that Jesus' 33 teaches us. That telling the truth is more important than people pleasing. Sometimes it almost looks like Jesus is not being very kind and loving. Sometimes love has a stern side, doesn't it? Sometimes you have to say, tell the truth when you don't want to, when it's not the easy thing to do, when it's, you tell the truth even when people don't want to hear it. And Jesus thought it was important. He wasn't ashamed to tell people to repent. And if we got churches out there that has lost the word repent in their vocabulary, they need to get it back. If there's people, churches out there that tell people it's your little problem and don't call it sin, they need to get that little three-letter word back in their vocabulary because we got a sin problem down here as we've discovered throughout this whole message. That's the issue. He came said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he told them to turn from their wicked ways. And he explained out what their wicked ways was. He didn't hide anything from us. How are we going to turn if we don't know the truth? He came to preach the kingdom of God, not the politics of man. His avenue was not to, you know, donate more to a political campaign, but to, to go about doing good and loving folks and saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from going the wrong way and come back. Come back to God. His life was full of purpose. Jesus, man, he, he often worked to the point of exhaustion. His disciples were sometimes worried about him, but he wanted to make his days count. He knew his days were few. And he wanted to make the biggest impact. See, he was all about his father's business. He wanted God's will to be done. They said, they're trying to kill you, Jesus. He said, I got to work while it's daylight because the night is coming. And we need to get a sense of urgency in this time in which we live because people are dying today without Jesus. Today. Maybe somebody in your circle of influence. Don't let them die on your watch without knowing Jesus. We have the words of eternal life and we must share them. We must tell people, about the kingdom of God. 
What will God say about you when the books are written? Jesus told Nicodemus that a man must be born again if he's to see this kingdom. Well, that blew Nicodemus' mind. He's the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's higher up in in the rankings here. He knows everything. He can quote the whole Old Testament. And Jesus tells him that, and he's like, boy, this is hard. I don't I'm going to get back in my mind. He's, Jesus says, son, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of my people. You don't know nothing. This is the best you can do. What I give you that brain for? But he realized that we're prone to carnal thinking. We only think naturally. Natural men think natural. But Jesus is saying when you get born again, you got to begin to speak, think spiritually. How many people you know that profess Jesus to be, don't look at your neighbor. How many of you know that profess Jesus to be the Lord of their life, but they live just like the world? They mean, nasty, don't tip their waitresses, talk about people, all these things, natural things, sinful things. You know, the sin nature doesn't go away just because you get saved. You just get the Spirit of God and you get a choice. We have to become spiritually minded. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, man, you're still thinking natural, and you're a teacher of my people. You've got to start thinking about the kingdom of God because it's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom can be within you. You can live the kingdom now. We don't wait to heaven to live heaven. We have heaven on the inside of us. If we think spiritually and we act spiritually, He opens our eyes to the things of the Spirit. Acts 10.38 says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing what? Slacking? Trying to build his portfolio? Jesus went around doing good and healing. All who were oppressed of the devil. Who's oppressed of the devil? Everybody. Who's the devil trying to oppress? You. Your neighbor. But Jesus went around doing good. He walked in the spirit with power. And he went around doing good and healing people. Not just physically, but mentally. Emotionally. Spiritually, all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What will they say about you when it's over? What will God say about you? Did did you go about doing good? Healing others? Or was your life so wrapped up and the devil had his fingers in you so strong, you you couldn't even get past yourself? You never lived a day of your life for anyone else. That's miserable. That's that's miserable. Jesus taught us to live lives full of empathy and compassion for one another. He told us to walk a mile in one another's shoes, so to speak. To look at things from somebody else's perspective. Oh, yeah, they're just this. Not just label everybody and write them off. They'll never amount to nothing. I don't even deal with people like that. Have you said those things? But for the grace of God, there you go. 
Which one of us couldn't be in their shoes right now but for the grace of God? Why can't we show some compassion and pour out our... Why do we give up on people? We can't do it. If we think back, God never gave up on us. There might have been people that did, right? How'd that make you feel? Make you feel like, yeah, I don't even want to keep trying. But Jesus didn't give up on you. And that's what the love of God brought you into the kingdom. God filled your heart with the love of God. Shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. You have the love of God now. We must show empathy and compassion for the broken and the hurting. We pray, Lord, give us the broken and the hurting in this church. Help us go into the highways and the byways and to compel them to come to the kingdom where they can be forgiven. Come home to Father and let him put a new robe on your shoulders and shoes on your feet and a signet ring. And let's throw a party together. Come on, God, God has a better plan for your life. He wants us to be not like the second brother over there online. I can't believe they're having a party for my brother. Y'all know what he's been doing? <laughs> Woe unto us as Christians if we're the same as the world. That's why the world don't want anything to do with most churches. We have to pull it together. We have to have compassion and empathy one to another. And I'm, speak, I'm, speak, I'm speaking to myself. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive anyway. Man, when you're just trying to get yours all the time, it's all about you building your little kingdom here on the earth. That's miserable. It'll never satisfy. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom compared to the kingdoms of this world. It's not the same. You can't apply the world's principles and be, live as a Christian. You have to apply biblical principles to your life. And he says, give, and it shall be given back unto you. Put the, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things that, that you have need of will be given to you. Right? And we're all, we're all chasing the blessing, but the Bible says the blessing shall overtake us. But how how's the blessing going to overtake us if we're chasing it? We're chasing God and his purposes. Loving his people and loving his purposes and the blessings overtake us. That's how winning is done. More blessed to give than receive. And Jesus showed that because he gave all. His life was rich in mercy and grace. His 33 years are full of it. And may it be said of you, I see that Jesus had great zeal for the house of God. Boy, you get him riled up, go contaminating his church with a bunch of, making it a bunch of den of thieves. What he said, den of thieves. Making it about making money and pushing people away. He said, you, you travel a mile to, to make a convert and then you turn him twice in the son of hell as you are. Church should not be like that. He has great zeal. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am building a church. Jesus has great zeal. That's what he's doing on the earth. He's given us an avenue so that we can go and show compassion and empathy together. 
that we can do the work of the ministry together and be more effective, and we never feel alone. We never get isolated so that the devil can pick us off. The churches should be going about doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Another thing I see is that Jesus thought prayer was essential. He said, my house will be a house of prayer. Sometimes he spent all night praying. He would work all day and then spend all night, go up in the mountain by himself to be alone with the Father. He fasted for 40 days one time and prayed. His disciples said, why can't we, do, why can't we cast out this devil? He said, y'all don't fast and pray like me. <laughs> Some of these things only come out by fasting and prayer. Now, if the Son of God, God in the flesh, needed to pray to the Father while his time on the earth, how much more do we? How many of us are just living our life? Uh, my best guess is I'll take this job. Oh, my best guess is we'll move to this city. That sounds good. That sounds better. Living our life by what sounds better. What would Jesus do? He'd find out the Father's will. Because the Father's will is perfect. And he did the perfect will of his Father through prayer. And he trusted the Father in all things. In all things. Sometimes it doesn't look like God's going to come through for us, does it? Maybe you got something in your life right now. You're, um, I'm just going to have to suffer this. I'm, just, I'm not going to have victory in this. This is a real disease. This is, this is a real financial crisis. God can't help me here. We lose sight. You know, for, for just a moment, for just a moment on the cross, Jesus lost sight of the Father. When our wrath was poured upon him, the ugliness of our sin was upon Jesus on that cross. He said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He felt alone for the first time in the course of all of history. First time he'd ever felt alone from the Father. But what did he say? He didn't feel the Father. He didn't see the Father. It didn't look like it was happening. It didn't, didn't seem like the odds were. But at the end, he said, into thy hands commit my very spirit my very life my soul all that i am i don't feel it i don't see you but i trust you it don't look like it the dusty dogs of death have got me encompassed and everybody's railing on me and the whole world has turned against me and there's a great darkness over the land and i can't see the light but into thy hands commit my spirit what if some of us stepped up in that kind of faith you know sometimes the farther you are along in your faith the greater the test become trust the father Jesus' life is called the gospel the gospel message that's the good news what's so good about that news is that God came to the earth to show us what he was like, and this is what he was like. He could have been judgmental. He could have been condemning. He could have run us down and gave us what for. He could have gave us what we deserve. 
instead, he took what we deserved. That's good news. That's the kind of God that we serve. We see it in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how did we respond? (laughs) Well, we sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Jingle, jingle, jingle. been telling you this whole message I've been telling you that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked if we follow that sin nature we will always do the wrong thing that's why he came so how did God well John 1:10 says that he came into the very world he created But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. God came to earth, the creator, and found no place. We rejected the creator. So how did God respond to this? Our being traitors. We don't need to heap so much on Judas, do we? We can look at our own self. We have all sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. We have all turned our backs on him. But it says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us, that in that this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God responded. That's how love responds. John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was his intention all along, that you might be saved. That everyone, he's not willing that any should perish, that it all should come to repentance. It is his heart. He knows that we're wicked to the core. He knows that we're plagued by this sin nature. He knows your limitations and your inabilities. He knows your character. He knows what you think before you think it. He knows what you say when nobody's listening and how you act to your family. He knows all that, yet he loves you anyway. And he was willing to die for you in the depths of your sin. He came to pay the debt that we could not pay. He understood that going in. They can't do it. Jesus said, I'll go. I'll become one of them and take their penalty upon myself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the sin offering, so that we could be made right with Christ, I mean, with God through Christ. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Because his resurrection gave resurrection to our dead spirits. You remember me talking about when sin entered in, he said you shall surely die, and the spirit of man died? Sin didn't make us bad, it made us dead. And we were dead. And God came, and he died to pay the sin debt, and then he was resurrected so that we could be resurrected. And when we put our faith in Christ, his spirit comes into our heart and makes us alive again to God. 
eternally alive to God. That's the good news of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this means that anyone who belongs in Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. It's a new life. It's not a patched up old life. It should be new. And we should walk in the new. You can't fill old wineskins with new wine. You got to get you a new wineskin. You are a new wineskin to be filled with the new wine from heaven. The Holy Ghost. You stiff-necked people, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, he says. And that's the whole purpose he came, to fill you back with his spirit. So there's a connection. Not that we just walk with him in the cool of the day, but he walks with us in Walmart. Inside of us. Forever. Woo! I'm preaching myself happy. Death couldn't stop him. The grave couldn't hold him. And his resurrection proved that he is who he says he is. If you got any doubts about that, you show me somebody else who said, I'm going into the the tomb and three days later I'm going to get up. I would believe somebody did that, wouldn't you? He was the firstborn among many brethren, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that I'm one of those brethren. That were born again because he was resurrected. And John said that if he, he wrote down all the things that Jesus did while he was here in those 33 little years. I reckon the, the, there wouldn't be enough room in the, all of the universe to contain the books. So I ain't going to get to everything that we learn from Jesus' life. Just a little bit. But isn't it a little bit good? Isn't it good news who we serve? What will be said about you? When your years are over, it don't matter what somebody else says about you. It matters what God says about you, don't it? (laughs) Will it be said that when she got up in the morning, she made the demons tremble? Is that you, Donna? They said, oh, no, Donna's hit the floor. Let's run. (laughs) Look out. Will it be said that they had such life that death could never extinguish it? Eternal life. (laughs) You know, Jesus said, the first scripture we read today, that I am the light of the world while I'm here. But before he left, he left us a parting gift. Tell him what it is, Johnny. No. He said that now you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hid. Don't hide it under your bed. Set it on a candlestick for the whole room to see it. You are the salt of the earth. Come on, let's live some life and some salt and some light in this. Let's shine. He said, you are the light of light. (laughs) Whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. Jesus was the dividing point in history. He was the B.C. who turned into the A.D. He stopped time. He divided time. Before Christ was the Old Testament, then Jesus was born, then the A.D. Was it, what is it called? Anno Domini. I looked it up. I always thought it meant after death. I thought time stopped for those 33 years. But it didn't. It just divided time. It divided time before Jesus was born and at his birth the years after. Now, they got the years kind of mixed up throughout history or whatever. 
But that's what B.C. and A.D. mean. And all these unbelievers out there saying there is no God. But yet they say it's year 2021, don't they? 2021 years after Jesus was born. Jesus is the dividing point in history. And he's the dividing point in our lives. (laughs) Amen? He's dividing between the old me and the new me. Just like he divided between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's the old me. Now, praise God, there's the new me. He divided between where we are and where we're going. Hallelujah. He divided between I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. What was the line of demarcation in all of that? Jesus. He is the the rock on which we must stand. He's either the rock you stand on, he's the rock's going to crush you to powder. There's no in-between about Jesus. You've got to make up your mind. <laughs> he's the dividing point for life and death for every person who will receive. The line between I used to be this, but now all things are possible. Don't you feel that way? If God be for you, who can be against you? All things are possible to him that believe. Praise God. The world is open to you now. Everything is available. The windows of heaven can be opened unto you. But will your B.C. and A.D. matter to anyone? Will the... The, the years that you spent on this earth, will they have made a difference? Will my BG and AG matter before God and after God? What about the BS <laughs> and the AS? There was BS before Jesus, right? See the trouble Jesus gets me into somehow. Seriously, seriously, I know you want your lives to count. I know you do. Some of you are afraid that you don't have what it takes. Good news. We are shown, God shows himself strong in our weakness. The less you have, the more, uh, the more opportunity you have. The more people say, wow, look what God has done. There's nobody here that God can't do great things through. Every one of us have gifts, talents, and abilities that he placed in us before we were born. And, then if, and if you didn't have that many, he still gives you the Holy Ghost to top it all off and to bring them to pass, to ignite that fire in you. Now, that's what we're here to do as a church, right? A fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. There's the true purpose in your life. I better quit. Jesus' last words were, Go. Go into all the world and tell them this good news. Me and you are a majority. We're going to take over the world. He said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I do. Greater works because I go to the Father. Well, gee, oh, not Jesus. How? I get those two mixed up. No. How called me the next day. And I ain't talked to him in a long time. He said, God, uh, I understand you. You know, you go to church and stuff now, and you're preaching some and all that. And 
I, I need to run something past you. I said, go ahead. He said, you know, I've been messing up. I ain't been doing right. And uh, to be honest with you, last couple of days I was on a drug binge. I stayed up for two days. He said, yesterday morning I was up and my heart started beating so hard that I thought it was going to come out of my rib cage. He said, I thought I was fixing to die. I laid down in the floor to die. And he said, all I could say was Jesus. And he said, I saw demons leave my body. He said, I saw black shadows coming out of me. I saw demons leaving my body. I said, what time was that, Hal? He said, about between 7 and 8 on my way to work that morning. All we got to do is hear from God and do what he says. Did I cast out? Did I, did I make the demons leave? But was I obedient? All we got to be is obedient. We just simply do what the master says. And, and the same works that Jesus did, we can do. If we have a heart of love. I have found this. That if you don't love folks, you won't have much power in your life. You never, just never will. And the time that I've seen God work the strongest through me was in the time I humbled myself and I, and I asked God to let me see people through his eyes and eyes of love. And if you have a true heart to love people and to minister to people, God will use you in supernatural ways that you can't imagine. And your life, your B.C. and A.D. will be totally different. And it will have mattered your years here on the earth. Is there anybody in here that's feeling like I have no peace in the world? Just the wor I mean, we're living in tumultuous times, to say the least. Things are coming at us from every direction. We're not even sure if the shelves are going to be stocked next week, right? We don't know if, if the uh, Gestapo is going to come after us next year. We don't know what's going on in the world, right? It can be trying. And if we, if we focus, whatever we focus on, we magnify in our lives. And if we've been magnifying the wrong things, maybe, maybe we've got a heart to have the solution. Man, we want America to be free. We want to we wanna believe in, you know, we... And you're putting your, you can be putting your attention in the wrong place. Jesus didn't come to preach Republican or Democrat or, or Independent or Libertarian. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. And I'm telling you, there's peace in his kingdom. And I'm telling you right now, the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds, but it's in Christ Jesus. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And if you hadn't been doing that, good news. It's not some long process, not forms to fill out. You just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I repent. I turn from looking at the wrong thing, and I, I turn my eyes back to you. And you can leave here with peace today. Maybe it's, maybe you've been buck wild, and you've just been doing your thing, man, and you, you're away from God right now, and you know it. You say, well, it's going to take me a while to get back. No. Turn your eyes to Jesus. He forgives. And he forgives. And he'll put that robe on your shoulders, that robe of righteousness. Right back on. 
It's just a decision. Maybe you're in here today and you say, I don't even know Jesus. I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. But maybe your heart's kind of like, I sure would like to know somebody like this that he's talking about because I'm not seeing it in the world. He can be yours. He'll send his spirit into your heart. Your dead spirit will come alive. You'll be adopted into his family as a child. You see, that's one of the more remarkable things that blows my mind, that he don't just say, okay, you can be one of my servants and I'll let you go to heaven. No, he says, no, come on and be in the family. Come on, sit at the table. Wait, let me get my, my thing on and serve you at the table. Your God wants to bless you with eternal life. He wanted to so bad that he gave his only begotten son. He doesn't say you got to earn it. He says you got to believe it. You got to receive it. And we can all do that. No matter where you've been, what you smell like, what you stuck your fingers into lately, got yourself messed up. Oh. You may be high here today or on the on the live stream. You may be addicted to something that's tearing your life apart. The anointing is here to break those yokes, to set you free. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. He'll do the breaking, but you got to stay free. Our job is just to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on the Spirit thing, the things of the Spirit. Keep our eyes on heaven. Keep our eyes on the Word of God. We press in. And he'll press us through. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, receive it just like you Christians are to be receiving your peace right now. Maybe, maybe you say, all right, I'm, I'm good. You know, I ain't been doing bad or nothing, but this life is long and it's just like I've lost that first love or I don't have joy. You know, you get to a certain age, you've been water skiing, you've been snow skiing, you've, you've been part, you've partied, you've done all these things that the world offers. It's like, I don't know how to have fun anymore. And you think Christian Christianity is boring. It's not. Your reward is in Christ. Your reward is doing is. It's more blessed to give than receive. You know, we used to have altar calls almost every service back in the day. We would always call people up. If you need healing, if you need deliverance, if you need somebody to pray with, that's good sometimes. I understand that. But it got to be where the same people were coming up every week, every week, and they became needy. It's like they had to have that. And it seemed like to me, Everybody was turning inward. It was all the service was all about them. When their answer is not "Give me, give me," my name is Jimmy. It's like, let me take this that I have and give it away. That will heal me. So look, we can all be free. You ain't got to come to the front. You don't, and I don't have to pray it with you. But let's turn those lights down for just a moment. Let's let that music play. Let's, let's say one minute, okay? Just turn your eyes back to Jesus. Then, then after the end of one minute, Nicholas, you take the microphone and you give them the stuff. I love you guys. 
And I want nothing more for you to be in the peace of God and have the joy of God and have the purpose that he designed for your life. Won't you receive it right now, just you and him? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.